Exodus chapter 17, we'll start reading in verse 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and go and, and go out. Fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands, Moses's hands were weary, were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on one side, the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Amen, amen. Can we lay our Bibles down and ask God to touch us today? We need you, Master. Let's lift our hands and talk to him. Lord, we love you. We need you to touch us today. Bless your word today. God, it's in your hands, your word, your people. God, I ask you to speak to us, God, today. Draw us closer to you, anoint God. Touch, Master. See the need and the direction of every life today. We ask you to be with us, God, in a special way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I love you, Master. You may be seated. Today will be, our lesson today will be called from stinky sheep. Called from stinky sheep. We see... In our text today, we find a familiar passage. We probably remember it from times of Sunday school, times of growing up reading the Word of God, a very familiar passage of Scripture, and it clearly shows the power of God in the life of the children of Israel at the leadership of Moses. And we don't want to get too far ahead, but we do want to acknowledge the power was not just in the sword of Aaron. But the victory was held within the man of God that was being assisted and aided at the time of battle. Within the Old Testament are covenants that are expressed, that express the desire for God to be with His creation. You must understand, we see the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. Within the Old Testament, there are many different covenants and we'll reference some of those this morning. But what we find today is a covenant that God had made with his people that says and goes on down when starting with the covenant that he made with Adam. And he begins to talk to him. And we all look back as children of God saying, I wish I had the opportunity that Adam and Eve had to where they could walk in the cool of the day with our master and be able to commune with him and be able to understand as he told all of the things that had happened and and we see that God makes a covenant with them and gives them the perfect life in the garden of Eden if they had simply obeyed the rules if they had simply just obeyed the rules they ate of the tree of good and evil and they had to be removed because so they did not get to the fruit of the tree of life. 
had they gone to the tree of life and everything would have been okay, we would have seen where God himself would have condoned sin and rewarded disobedience. But he said, no, you disobeyed me. I have created a place for you to go and to dwell. I have given you a place that is not within this utopia where animals are walking and dwelling together and we have vegetation. I just need you to tend the garden. I gave you the wisdom to name every animal. And we can go back and what Adam named them is what we call them. We can trace back things that happen in this covenant, in this time. But we find that God kicked them out. And he cursed several things. And I'm not going to dwell too long on it. But he cursed uh, the woman that she would have pain in childbirth. And he cursed the ground so that man would not have the fruit of the ground so plentiful at his hands. And he said there's going to be thorns that's going to grow up. And he also cursed the serpent. And he says, "Your forever your days will be on your belly, and you will eat the dust that the child of the, the children of this earth be trod upon you, and you will never, ever, ever be able to do what you did with Eve." And what I find interesting is when he cursed the ground, that meant that he removed the full potential from that earth, because now there were thorns. Now there were things that does not benefit us at all. And we have to contend with those things for us to get fruit from that ground. So if I may say, it's not guaranteed to be easy. And we have a couple of people we can go back and blame. But it is your situation that you can stand up and say, it may have been cursed from the beginning whenever they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. But I can, with the help of God, do more than just look at thorns. We see the covenant that he made with Noah. God promised to preserve the earth by never flooding it again. And he established the government and the people of the government and turned things over to the people. And what we see that God did was he was a fulfiller of his promises. No doubt the things that were told of Noah saying, listen, Ah, there's never rain before. Why are you building an ark? What's interesting is, and I didn't take the time to go back and do all the calculations, but there is a day, there is a definitive day that it says in Scripture that there was a day when the first raindrop fell. It's noted in Scripture. It says precisely That first raindrop, the very first one to strike the soil of which they were walking, even though they had the dew that would come up and water the earth. But there was that first raindrop was a fulfillment of God's promise. Build an ark. Why? It's going to rain. And it rained. And it broke up the deep. And, you know, our sister Golf and I were talking about it. We've been to many of the places here in North America where they say, oh, well, this happened millions and millions and millions of years ago and this is why this anomaly is there and it took all of this time of erosion for this to happen but when I read the scriptures when it says the fountains of the deep broke up and we see the Grand Canyon over a mile deep and we say well that's probably the source in my mind I can think of 
going there and looking and saying, that would take a lot of water. I've been here on earth many years, it seems like, and I've yet to see water erode in the way that it has. And you begin to look at monuments and you begin to look and go into museums and you wonder and they say, we don't know why there are fish remains in the middle of the prairie. We don't know why. And Sister Goff says, I've been to the mountains in Canada and pulled out fossils that are uh, aquatic life related. And you stand there and say, how? It wasn't the turtle that was on the fence post. And you say, well, how did it get there? But we know based upon what creation is and the flood story tells us what happened. And we find that Noah was in the midst of all of this. We find that God was able to judge sin as he promised. But he was a master planner. He provided detailed plans to build the ark and to preserve the life of the animals. The covenant that God made with Noah and as he led him as his God, as Noah pleased him in his sight, we find that Noah was able to see a covenant as he came off the ark and he began to sacrifice animals and he was pleasing in the sight of God and he says, no more will I ever do this and I'll preserve and and we go on down through some of the details, we find that this was an important covenant. Because we are here today because God honors his covenant. (laughs) Otherwise, we would be as the people who were swallowed up. It says that everything that breathed through nostrils was destroyed. It doesn't say that the fish... It doesn't state that. I don't find it. If you see it, come tell me after service. But I didn't see it anywhere in the story, uh, in the reading of the, the flood and Noah's life. I didn't see where it said the fish died. It just says everything that breathed with his nostrils died. But God gave a beautiful covenant in Genesis to Noah. We find that we have three significant covenants that happened within the first 15 chapters. Of Genesis, in the beginning. We find that Abraham, Abraham and God had a covenant with each other. It removed the focus off the lives of people and started to focus this covenant on the patriarchal approach to the lives of men like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs. And we read through scripture and you can turn just about anywhere it seems and you will flip to a part where it's talking about the covenant with Abraham and it's referenced in the New Testament and it was well aware of. And there was things that happened during this covenant. We had the plagues where all it took was for Abraham to tell a half-truth and go into a city and them to see his wife and Sarah and say, oh, she's so beautiful. And them to take them, take her to their house and God steps into the midst of that and sends plagues upon the house. And they said, why did you not tell us? Why did you lie to us and tell us that she was your sister and not your wife? And we find that people were slain by the hand of an abomination, by the hand of angels walking in the midst of them. And fire and brimstone come down and take care of Sodom and Gomorrah. We find that God had a way of communing with Abraham. It was special. It wasn't just an ordinary conversation. It was something that meant something. We see that Abraham's covenant was so special that the covenant with Moses was built upon that. And there were things that happened. In the previous covenants, we find that they were made with a person or a couple of people. 
and the details of the requirements were few in nature. We find we get to the Mosaic Covenant, and it was made a change from the previously narrow definition of covenant to where it's now defined today as the law. The law of the Old Testament. It was so comprehensive that it became titled the law, and it's held in contrast of the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the New Testament, we have the beauty and the glory of what we know of as the new covenant that Jesus Christ brought here to share with us today. However, the Mosaic covenant, some 600 years had passed since that covenant had happened with Abraham and made a covenant with a nation of people and provided for them. And Bishop talked a little bit about that in his lesson, talking about the miracle that the children of Israel had as they wandered in the wilderness of getting up every day and their clothes and their shoes were renewed and God provided for them with the manna from heaven. And we find that there were things, there were key elements that had to be in place for the Mosaic Covenant to happen in the book of Exodus. It was based upon faith, obedience, and the shedding of blood. But it wasn't just one person. Just as Noah built an altar, just as uh, Abraham built an altar, now it was required for all of Israel to sacrifice. It was not just a man or just a couple of people. But we find that Moses said to the people, we are all under the law. We are all under the sacrificial system. We find in Deuteronomy chapter 26 and 16, it says, This day the Lord thy God hath commanded thee to do do these statutes and judgments. Thou shalt therefore keep and do them with all thine heart and with all thy soul. Many of the components we find we have The Ten Commandments, a part of this covenant, it tells us to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy spirit. But it also says to love thy neighbor. God gives us commandments for us to do in this covenant. Now just for the sake of time, I'll tell you, we're not going to leave the Mosaic Covenant in our discussion today in the teaching of the Word of God. We're going to spend the rest of our time talking this morning about this covenant and what it means and the benefits of it and what it means to you. It established in this covenant a sacrificial system and a tabernacle for which for the first time a permanent dwelling place for God was placed here on earth. And this would connect God with his people and the tabernacle would be in the midst of their camp and would travel with them all the days and they would take it around everywhere they went There were people assigned to the tabernacle and their duties and responsibilities. And they followed after it to preserve the place for God's glory to dwell in the midst of them. The people and their faithfulness became the validation of that covenant. And because of it being validated in their life, there were healings of sickness and of disease. Miracles that happened in their life, as we've already talked about some of them already. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, in verse 1, it says, And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. 
and all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. And Abraham was told that if he simply obeyed God, God would give unto him his promises. We find in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, And now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. We call him Father Abraham. In Sunday school, I remember the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Goes on to say, I am one of them, and so are you. We can trace our roots back through these great men of God and state we are a part of a family and we are benefactors of the covenants that these people made with God and God made with them. There is a love and compassion that God has for his creation. It's hard for people to comprehend when they read stories in the word of God and they say, why would he flood the earth and destroy all mankind? It's because their hearts were turned away from God. Why would he let them build a tower when it says they were all of one language, one tongue, and they come together and said, let us build a tower. Let us ascend up into the heavens. And he steps down in the midst of them and scatters the people across the face. Why would he sow division? It's because they had lost their heart for God. They were just living in the motion of that day. When we look at Abraham, he was told to go do three things. Get thee out of thy country. He left. Away from thy kindred. And from thy father's house. But Abraham didn't do just what God said to do took his father with him, and he took his nephew Lot. And if you look back over the blessing of Abraham's life, God did not go visit with him until his father had died, and he had split ways from Lot. People like to throw things at you in the church and say, when you you got a part of that church, or once you became a Christian, you no longer want to be around your family, and they like to Use these examples of the church is drawing a wedge in between your family and you. It's not the case. It's the conviction of God doing something in your life. That you're not just like them where they say, well, 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 and they start to point fingers at you. How judgmental you are and how much better you think you are. And that's not the case. I wish to God that every one of the backslidden family members that I used to sit on the pew with, would walk back through the doors, and I love them dearly, and I pray for them, and I say their name in prayer, and begin to talk to God on their behalf, and say, God, touch them, help them, change them, but never do I say they're not good enough to be my family. God wants us to love those around us, but he has requirements for us. He has requirements. We like to think of God as just that person that loves everybody and he does but he has a standard that we must meet 
and attain to reach out to him and say, God, what do you want from me? Because staying the same is not what he wants. He wants something more from us. Now imagine yourself as Moses, as he began to write in the book in Exodus chapter 17, verse 14, it states, and begin to pen all the words of the Lord, as it says in Exodus chapter 24 and verse 4. And Moses would have the previous covenants of the Lord revealed to him as he begins to pen the words of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, begins to write them down. Seeing in his own life where the word of God would say, write them down, Moses. Write them down, begin to pen them, and begin to write them down and reference them. And they became the written word of God for the people of God. We find that all of this was for the reference for the people of God. Now we look at the covenants, the lessons to be learned is that God's covenants have requirements. Mainstream Christianity would want us to think that the God of inclusion overlooks disobedience and that God himself clearly states as a requirement can clearly be shunned by those that open their doors and say, we're a Christian. You can look in the news, you can read articles, you can talk to people, a part of churches. And I worked with a gentleman who recently retired And he says, there's something coming from the church organization that I'm a part of here in Kansas City. He says, I'm a part of one of the largest churches. It's a mega church. He goes, but mark my words, our church is getting ready to split right down the middle over one issue. He goes, we are part of an organization that is at odds with each other. And we have allowed it become so divisive that it is going to divide our church and every campus associated with our church. And we have people walking out the door. It has become divisive. The word of God is meant to divide sin from the promises of God. But it's not meant to destroy your life or to pull you away from family. We are to be ambassadors for him. Some people like to think I'm an island unto myself. No, you have been called to do something. You'd say, well, I just can't stand to be around my family. Everybody's family has got quirks. Everybody's family has the weird aunt or uncle. They always say, I, I can say for mine, uh, you always have the uncle that hugs on everybody. And, and you're like, here he comes again, making his another round of hugs. And you see, my daughters are like, where's he at? Just the radar's on, where's he at? Where's the uncle that wants to hug on everybody? Everybody's got that. Everybody's got the weirdness in their family. But in the kingdom of God, we all have something called a calling. We have something that should motivate us and allows us to overlook the exceptions, the anomalies. It allows us to overlook what we think are the glaring issues in your life that I just can't seem to get over. When that glaring issue becomes the focus of your walking in a church and being happy with your walk with God, you have lost your calling. You have lost sight of God bless him. God bless her. God touch her. Bless her more than I. Help them through this situation. When you say, I just can't. You have lost sight of your calling. We find the example of obedience in Moses. Just a little bit of background. We find where Moses, prior to our text, 
He smote the rock of Horeb to provide water to the children of Israel. And in their request for water and in their language at the end of this text, it says the children of Israel were chiding him, is the Lord among us or not? And God still provides. As Bishop taught the other day about communion, taking the Lord's Supper, we see where God blessed, even though he said to speak to the rock, he smote it. And God still gave water. There are things that you are doing in your life that you'll say, God keeps blessing. Don't be in such a fog. Don't have the delusion so deep in your life that you can take part in something you know you shouldn't do but you keep doing because he keeps blessing. That blessing will run out, but there's a reason why. You're influencing somebody in a positive way. God's using you. God's wanting them to walk away from him. God's allowing you to be that conduit, that bridge. And Don't destroy that method of communication with your Savior when you say, I don't feel any different. God wants us to walk in the promise. The enemy, Amalek, comes up against them and Moses tells Joshua that I, as we read in our text, and we'll read a little bit more about it, will be upon the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Typically, we tell the story of great victory. And it implies in how many of us may teach it, read it, or think of it, that Moses' hands are empty. But that's not what Moses said was going to happen. He says, I'll be up there with the rod of God in my hand. Let's go first back to when Moses only held a staff. God makes a call to Moses to become a part of the plan of deliverance for the children of Israel. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1, We find Moses tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro at the time. And he merely held a staff or a rod in his hand. It says, now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he held the flock and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. Now Moses, as it says in verse 1. Now, Moses. Let's look at the life of Moses. They are remarkably divided into three segments. The first 40 years, the second 40 years, and the last 40 years. The first 40 years, he spent as a prince in Pharaoh's court. It doesn't start out glamorous. They pick him up out of the bulrushes. His sister trying to save his life, and you know the story. We find that he spent 40 years as a prince. The second 40 as a shepherd in Midian. And the third as a king in Jeshurun, as a leader of the people of God, of the children of Israel. What's interesting is God didn't speak to him. Until he was 80. 
There was no daily communication of God and Himself like Adam and Eve. There wasn't this time to where every year they would go to the mountaintop and God would give him direction for the next coming year like we have in the year of 2020. There wasn't that time. What drove him from those places of comfort was he responded out of anger and slew a man and ran for his life and finds himself in Midian. In Midian. Running for his life at the age of 40. Same age that I am. His life totally on its head and turned upside down. And we think of our life as we sit here in our age that we are today. And we wonder and we say, what does God have for me in my life? That's what we want to talk about today. We find that he had now finished his second 40 years when he has been commissioned to bring Israel out of Egypt. And you can read through in Exodus chapter 3 all the things that happen. And sometimes it is long before God calls his servants out of that work which of old he designed for them. For Moses was born to be Israel's deliverer. And yet not a word was said to him. Not a word from God was said to him until he was ending the second segment of his life. Whenever Moses, at the age of 80, walks out there and he sees the burning bush. We like to reference this story and think of how great the walk with God it must have been. But we must understand this was his first time to hear from God. This was the first time for him to hear the voice of God reach out to him and say, Moses, Moses. And to draw him to the presence of God. We read in verse 4, it says, The Lord speaks to Moses from the burning bush. In verse 7, the Lord recognizes the sorrows and afflictions of the children of Israel in their captivity. In the people that Moses had been called from, it says the Pharaoh had died. And the people lamented before the Lord, asking for a reprieve from their situation. The covenant with Abraham started, stated, I'm sorry, it stated that the children of Israel would go into captivity for many years. But it also says in the covenant with Abraham, the children of Israel will come out which must with much wealth. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 12, God makes a covenant with Abraham and to his seed. And it says in verse 12, and, lo, and when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that a nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. We see what we read in scriptures of the children of Israel being delivered from the hand of Pharaoh and from Egypt was the very thing that had been promised to Pharaoh, I'm sorry, to, to uh, Abraham in that time of his covenant with God. In verse 8, in talking back to Moses in Exodus, the Lord reveals his true intentions to deliver them out of Egypt into the promised land. And the captivity that we had read about had been foretold. And knowing what had been said, I can only imagine those that were in tune when knowing the covenant that God had told to Abraham as it had been passed down 
from generation to generation, they probably sit there at times wondering, when is the end going to come? When is things finally going to change? And Moses, in verse 9, is chosen as the one to speak to Pharaoh. But then Moses begins to plead his case and says, I am not great with speech. He begins to disqualify him, even though God himself had called him to be a great leader. Saints of God, it's easy for us when God begins to deal with your life that you say, this is all I will ever be. And you feel God begin to pull on your heartstrings. He begin to say, I want you to go deeper. And the purpose of what we're talking about today, it could apply to anyone here today. But I believe within my heart, what the word of God is speaking to us today, that God wants to do something special for someone today. He is wanting to call you away from just tending sheep. He is wanting to get you away from the stink of your life that you've become accustomed to. You can't even smell it anymore. Just yesterday, we had a candle melt whatever it was, incense thing going in our bedroom, and it smelled like cinnamon. And I was in the bedroom, it was going. I got used to it, couldn't even smell. I smelt it faintly when it first came on, and I lost the scent of it. Couldn't even smell it anymore. And every time someone would walk in the bedroom, they say, mmm, smells like cinnamon, but I couldn't smell it. I was like, I, I, don't, I think it may be turned off. I don't even know. No, it's on. It's right there. It smells so strong. So then I went and turned it off and said, well, maybe it's becoming too strong. And so I turned it off and let it sit there. And all that day, in and out, going in, people would say, the children walk in, oh, that smells so good. And I couldn't smell anything. Saints, we can become so accustomed to church. People walk in and say, my life has been changed. All the while, we can sit here and say, it's just church. God is calling us. I'm not preaching at somebody today. I'm preaching for somebody's soul today because somebody needs something more than what they've settled for. God is calling for someone to step away from what they've always known, what they've always felt, and says, this is me. Moses could say, I'm sorry, God. I've been tending sheep for 40 years. This is who I am. But little did he know that God was placing him in that moment to equip him for the next phase of his life. That rod that he was been handing. And at one point in time, I can imagine myself when I'm going to select something or purchase something or decide on something. I like to research something, probably to a fault. And I can imagine as Moses was walking up and trying to determine what staff was going to be his, little did he know the power that that staff would represent in years to come. All those days, it was just a tool. 
It was just him being able to grab a sheep and be able to nudge them this way or fight off an enemy this way, an animal coming in to attack the sheep. For 40 years, Moses drug around a staff and it was just a staff. For 40 years, he tended somebody else's sheep. 40 years, he worked the land of somebody else's land. 40 years, he acknowledged the promise that God had given to his father-in-law, which was a priest in Midian, and God had blessed them, and there was six other sisters, and God gave him a wife, and he cherished her and had a child, and God blessed them. But 40 years, it was somebody else's land, and all that Moses had was a staff. They weren't his sheep. They heard his voice. He bore their sin. He was their leader. But God was proving to Moses, if you'll just do what you've been called to do, there's something great in your life. Saints of God today, you may be sitting here, and you may be thinking, I'm just, or this is all I'll ever be. And everybody else gets to do things, and everybody else is a part of this. And you are a part of a powerful and mighty church. You need to recognize that. You are a part of something more than just somebody else's pasture. It's something greater in your life than just coming in and sitting on the pew. God is calling you today to do what he's called you to do. It is upon you to respond to whatever it may be. It may be a deeper walk with him. It may be stepping away from the way that you've only known him for so many years. And it may be Moses. There's another salvation that can be given to you. But you say there's comfort. This staff, these sheep, they need me. No, your calling needs you today. The rod that Moses had been holding was now a tool of demonstrating belief through obedience. And the value of that rod changes after God proves to Moses that he can fulfill his word in Exodus chapter 4, in verse 17, it says, And thou shalt take this rod in thine hand, wherewith thou shalt do signs. Aaron had been selected. Moses had given every excuse he could think of why I should not lead. And God said, okay, Aaron will be the spokesman, but you are the leader. And he tells him how he's going to lead with the rod. In verse 20, and Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass. And he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. The rod of God. This rod was consecrated as we find in, in the miracle that happened in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 2 when God turned it into a serpent before his very eyes, and it says that it scared Moses, that he ran from it. He had been carrying this rod for 40 years. He listens to God, and it turns into a serpent, and he's afraid of it, and runs from it. And God calls him back and says, no, pick it up by the tail. And it became a rod in his hand. And from that point forward, that rod 
became the rod of God. The mighty things that God was going to do in his life based upon the rod of God. In our text we read, Then came Amalek and fought with the children with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. When Moses put God out in front of everybody, God blessed. But when his hand began to come down, the enemy began to prevail against him. It was the men of God standing next to him, Aaron and Hur, that says, I see the difference. I can see the tides changing. Every time his hands become weary and they come down, we began to lose. And they set him down on a rock and began to hold up his hands. Whether it be in one of those hands or in both of those hands, in it resided the rod of God, representing the leadership for the children of Israel and the power and the hand of God. That same rod that had smote a rock and water came out of it. That same rod that had smote the water and they split wide open as they were out of captivity. That same rod that miracle after miracle had happened was victorious because he embraced something from his past and says, I'll stop running for it and I will fulfill the calling of God in my life. It is because Moses was able to stand up and say, I may not be the best person for it, but God has called me. I may be able to come up with countless excuses, but God has called me. Saints of God today, we're here and God is trying to call you. There are things that he's wanting to do in your life that you have yet to let him do because you try to give excuse after excuse after excuse pastor or a preacher can get up and say 2020 is going to be the best year we've ever had and you give excuse after excuse after excuse all the while tending sheep and holding a rod that God wants to use and it's every excuse you can think of of why God cannot be mighty in your life the example we have of Moses is one we can draw from today And say, God, use me. As we continue in our text in verse 14, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under the heaven. God said, Write it down, Moses. And we read it today because a man called Moses obeyed God and wrote it down. There's examples that if you don't obey the covenant, what would happen? God would turn you over to your hands of your enemies and you would be destroyed. So saints of God, as we sit here today, we have two options. We can yield ourselves to what God wants to do in our life. Or we can say, God, 
I want nothing to do with your plan. And he gives us over to our enemies. It's a concept, a principle that has been established in the word of God. When the children of Israel did not serve God, they brought in strange gods. When they made their own gods, when they adopted the gods of the people who had conquered them, God's presence left them. How long has it been since you felt the presence of God? And you think it's just a low time in my life. No, it's because there's something you're probably refusing and saying, God, I'm not, I can't, I'm not qualified, I'm not that type person, my personality is this, I could never. And we give every excuse in the book, whenever God himself is stepping down to our place and saying, leave those sheep alone. But God, no, I'm telling you, leave the sheep alone. I have somewhere I need you to be. And Moses says, uh, I can't even <coughs> do what you're trying to get me to do. And go talk to Aaron. Go tell him all that I've told you. And Aaron hears it. And next thing you know, Aaron is the spokesman. And Moses is standing there with his rod. And I can only imagine in my mind, Moses may not have been able to speak that well. But when the words of God was commanded to Pharaoh, in my mind, this is my opinion, I would think that Moses is stamping that rod in the name of Jehovah. If you don't let my people go, this is going to happen. It was not some bedazzled piece of wood and had a little mark on it. Moses established this date. and I'm telling you, it was the power and the hand of God in his life. And when he walked with it, he walked with the anointing and the power of God in his life because he embraced something that God prepared him for and didn't say, this is all I will ever be. Saints of God, we can stand up and we can give our teary testimony. But if God hasn't done anything more for you since that day, where have you been in your calling? If that is all that defines you, where have you been in your walk with God? How many years? When's the last time you received direction? When's the last time you listened to it and heeded to it and followed after it? Why are you so tired of doing nothing? It's not because God said, I'm done with you. It's because we gave excuse after excuse, just as Moses did. We have a place he's calling us to. We have a direction that God is trying to take us. This year will be no different than any other year. Than any other year you've ever had. If you're not committed to the calling. Just as Moses wrote those down. The words and a memorial in the book. And then he walked over to Joshua and said Joshua this is what happened. Moses then built an altar. And he called that place Jehovah Nisi. For he says because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek. From generation to generation. If you will obey the word of God. You're not just going to have one victory. It's multiple victories. If you'll say God. Whatever you have in my life. So be it. It's not just one victory you'll have. But it'll be victory after victory. Because the Lord will be fighting on your side. For generation and generation. And it talks about later in scripture. You can go read it. Where it talks about. 
the hand of God reached down and the armies of the children of Israel destroyed the family, the Amalek and all that was left. And they went into sin and they displeased God because they brought back their animals and the things that pleased them. But God said, wipe Amalek off the face of the earth. And he gave them the power to do it, but they chose not to. They chose to preserve the animals. And Samuel says, why do I hear sheep bleeding in the distance? Oh, they're these are the prime animals from Amalek. This is the best of their flock. And God didn't say bring back. He said utterly destroy. When you're told to obey the word of God, it's not on your terms. It's his terms. It's not for you to decide what's best. It's for you to say, God, take all of me for all of you. I will yield myself to you. Half obedience is the same as a half lie. It's a lie. It's disobedience. God is calling some of you today. And I hope to God he's reminded you of some of the promises that he has told you in years gone by. And nothing's ever happened. It's because you haven't done anything with it. God is drawing us. God is pulling us to a place We hear it time and time again. We don't have all the time we think we have here on earth. We don't have all the time. Nobody is promised. Nobody has a countdown clock of this is your last day here on earth. This is when everything's going to come to an end. And you have X amount of days, X amount of hours, X amount of weeks, and then the time. and, And you have the precise moment, just like a retirement clock that people put up. This is all I have left before I walk out the door. You don't have that. Here's what you have. The opportunity to make a difference in somebody's life today. We can't play games with God. It was so important to Moses that when he built the altar, he called it Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah, my banner. It was a proper name and the Hebrew word is rightly preserved. The meaning is the name of Yahweh is the true banner under which victory is certain. You will never ever be able to be victorious in the kingdom of God without a commitment to God. Without recognizing the need for his hand in your life. I can tell you, and you don't have time to hear my story, but I can tell you, That God has given me time after time after time to do what is right. And there were times in my life that I would step back and say, not right now. I've got this going on. But God is calling for somebody. You need to do what he's called you to do. This is not something that you can walk up and say, well, today, maybe. It's not in my New Year's resolution. It is your salvation At stake. We must obey God. Because if you don't obey God, it's not just a matter of, I'll just keep coming to church. The problem is, you begin to drift further and further and further from Him. His presence begins to get weaker and weaker. God has called each and every one of us to obey Him. We serve a king that has his name whispered in the hearts of men, whether they believe or not. There are things that happen that are atrocities in this world 
people who don't even go to church and something horrific happens in their life and they say, my God, help us today. It's because there's power in the name of Jesus. His name has been proclaimed in the heavens by the angelic host. And it has been whispered by the filthiest of sinners, such as I, when I came to an altar and repented. And says, you don't have to forgive me. But I hope you do. You don't have to give me a new life. But I hope you do. It's that same name, that same God, that's calling you from just smelling like sheep and to accept your calling. God wants you to be everything He has promised you. It's just a matter of you being able to say, this is no longer valuable to me. This is no longer valuable to me. God wants you to reduce what you think is valuable and make Him the most important thing in your life. It's better for you to do it than for Him. I would rather that I walk to an altar and say, God, I thought my career was important. I thought this possession was important. I thought this account was so important because it preserved my future. It gave me an out. I had a fallback plan. But God says, that's not the way things work. I need you to give me everything. I need you to yield to me everything. And I've told Sister Goff, I says, why did it take me so long to get where I'm at now and I have not attained anything? But why has it taken me, me, so long to where the walk with God means more to me than anything. Why did it take me, me, Douglas Goff, so long before I said, your will, not my will? Why is it that I put so many things in front and says, but I can't, and gave every excuse before I said, whatever it is, whatever it is, God, whatever it is, we don't have time for my testimony. But God has taken me through times in my life. And he's prepared me for the future of things to come in my life. And he's doing the very same in you. And it's a matter of whether you listen to the call or you say, not today, I can't. And we make every excuse. God is calling you today. It's from a young age. It's put in us. We can't help it. As adults, we say, what are you going to do when you grow up? What are you going to do? You're, you're 16 years old. What's your plan? What career are you going to do? What's your path? Who's your boyfriend? Who's your girlfriend? Where are you going to live? And people began to put this pressure that makes you feel like I have to do this, this, and this. In order for me to satisfy people, I have to achieve this and this. And these things that I remember, I, I can vividly, I can tell you where I was sitting, where someone sat down and tried to decide what my career was as a, as a young man. As around uh, 15 years old, 16 years old, they sat down with me and they weren't a mentor in my life. They weren't my pastor. They weren't my parents. 
And they sit down with me and says, you know, I can make some calls and I can make something happen for you and I can get you on a career path. In that same vehicle, they sat there and they called somebody and said, hey, I need you to open a position for this person. This is what they're wanting to do and I wanted nothing to do with it. But God knows. God knows exactly what needs to happen in your life. Why is church boring? You're not doing His will. You're not listening to the calling. We say, well, I come in and we judge church on, a, on the scale of like doctors do pain. One to ten, where are you at? Well, ten, if I was a ten, I'd be crying and I would be yelling out in anguish. So church today is around a four. Because I like the songs that Brother Albritton picked out. And I remember the story of Moses and the, the covenants that Brother Goff's talking about. So four-ish, and we walk out, and that's all we get from church. But all the while... God's trying to say, I'm calling you somewhere. I'm calling your name. Moses, Moses. But bushes don't burn normally, so I'm going to turn my face from it. No, Moses. Take off your shoes. Take off your shoes. Come on over here. This place is holy. I've got a word for you, Moses. You can sit there and say, well, church is my favorite place to sleep. Church is my favorite place just to come in and get some fellowship. What's everybody doing after service? And you forget about the focus of the service at hand. It was just in a simple service, a simple revival service on a Wednesday night that a man got up and preached a message. Says you can help others, but you cannot help yourself. And God filled me with the Holy Ghost. God changed my life through a simple Short, few-minute service. Because it struck my heart and I had a desire. I said, God, I want everything that you want in my life as a young man. God gave me a dream. He showed me in my dream where I was standing when I got the Holy Ghost. It happened that Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, I woke up. And the fear of God struck my heart and the conviction. And I couldn't wait to get to the house of God. Walk in, and the evangelist begins to preach the message. My heart responded, and I said, God, I want more. I can't just dream about it. I can't just hear everybody else's story. I've got to have more of you than what I have right now. I can't tell you how many times I white-knuckled it in special services, camp meetings when healings were taking place, people were being filled with the Holy Ghost, People running the aisle and preachers getting up and laying hands on people and cancers being removed and healings taking place. And I would grip the pew with such conviction and fight it off because I'm not ready. It's not the right time. But then that Wednesday night, I said, God, I want everything you have for me. I must be changed. And I went from being filled with the Holy Ghost to taking this little number right here. And it's because I lost sight of my calling in Him. Took a nosedive in the dirt of life. Oh yeah, I kept coming back to church. I wouldn't hardly miss a service. But I sat there with my heart dead, not beating for the things of God. Great messages being preached. And as a young man, sit there and say, I wonder where we're going to eat after service. 
in service after service. But it took me saying, God, change me. I can't stay this way. I, I can't sit there and stay, say, I, I'm just taking care of the sheep. I'm just tending the flock for Jethro. I'm just doing what I'm told to do. But God wants us to do something more. He wants to draw us. 2020, it'll be just another few years for you. It could just be a 2020 is great. I'm already planning stuff for 2021. But I can't sit there and say, I can't wait until June. I can't wait until July. Because it's this day we're in today is the only one that matters. And we have to do something. There are benefits to letting God be what He wants to be in your life. When God takes what you thought was just a staff and makes it a symbol of your leadership. Moses was fleeing the land of Egypt. He left the house of Pharaoh. The place where he would want for nothing. For 40 years, 40 years, Moses wanted for nothing. He was a prince in the court of Pharaoh. And yet, he stands there and finds himself tending somebody else's sheep. You know what he did? On the run, he takes the wife that life handed him, and he took the job that life handed him. And he just made the best of it. And you know what he was? He was happy for 40 years. 40 years! God, this is all I am. I can't hardly talk. I can't hardly do anything. The best thing I could ever do is sit here and just tend sheep. And God, all the while, was raising a leader from in front of everybody that says, listen, he will lead you. He will follow after me. The places God will take you, only he knows. But you have to be willing to go with him. God takes us to places that may not be significant for us, but it's significant for him. It's so important for him. It's all a part of his plan. He will use what we think has no value and turn it into a holy place. It's interesting. We find we could easily jump to the new covenant. It'd be great. We could talk about it. God delivered us through the sacrifice that He made in the New Testament. But there's something that God is wanting for His people today. He wants us to narrow our focus on us and our calling that God has placed on your life. In Exodus chapter 19, in verse 1, in closing, it says the musicians would come. It says, in the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, that same day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. The significance of this area in which the children of Israel had been camped in was significant, and some commentators call this out. They say, because Horeb, the place where Moses was when God called him, is in the same area of Mount Sinai, where the law was delivered. They stayed it one of two ways, probably Horeb, 
was the name of the whole tract of mountains in Sinai, the same name that had the same particular elevation where the vision happened and the law was delivered. They say that Horeb and Mount Sinai were very close to each other, or they say that in the same mountain range, Horeb and Mount Sinai were two different summits within the same mountain. We see where Moses smote the rock at Horeb. The point being is that sometimes we want nothing to do with our past. But it is in those places that God uses you to help others. Moses could stand up and say, we're in the wilderness of Sinai. There's the mountain. There's Horeb. That's the place God called me. It is over there where a bush was on fire that was not consumed. It was over there. We're back at a familiar place in my life, people. Moses could say, I've been here before. This is the place that God spoke to me. (coughs) And children of the church of the living God today, we need God to take us back to a place that's familiar to us. And say, God, I heard your voice here. And I'll never forget it. Take me back. I want my calling. I want the place that you're calling me from. It's a place where I owned nothing. Nothing was my own. I took the job and was just doing a job. But you called me from this place. You put a calling on my life in this place. Now it's easy for us as saints to sit on the pew and say, well, God would never use me to be a preacher. Maybe not. God would never use me to do and you fill in the blanks. Maybe not. But everybody here has a calling. Everyone. We are called. And we can say the song, He called me out of darkness into His marvelous light. Set my feet on straight street and now I'm doing right. He's doing great things. And that's beautiful. But are you doing something with your calling? Or are you saying, no, I like the smell of sheep. Oh, I, it's what I'm used to. It's... That's on my garments and I put them around my neck and I've had such a relationship and look at all of the lambs that I've raised up over the years and they've become great and they, the flock has never been healthier and God's saying, I took you there just to get the rod. Just get the rod. You're only there to get the rod. You hear of his wife mentioned a couple times. His son, you don't hear of him talked about hardly any at all. The purpose of Moses going to the wilderness and taking care of the sheep and running for his life was just to get the rod and be in the right place that God wanted to use him. Moses could have said, no, I'm not going to be a shepherd anymore. That's in my past now. Look at me. I'm going to go be a part of the children of Israel. I'm going to be the spokesman. I'm going to lead these people out of captivity. Here, here Jethro, here's the rod. And he could have left it and says, that's not me anymore. That's not in my job descriptions. But God says there's some other clause that we put in our job descriptions today. It says, and other duties as required. Moses, take the rod with you. And it became 
the rod of God. And Moses was able to hold it up and victory came. Just maybe, just maybe, revival hasn't happened at the scale that it's been promised. Because somebody has laid the rod down. Somebody says, I'm not a shepherd anymore. Look at me. I got a new robe. Look at me. I'm different. That's not in my job anymore. But God has called us and equipped us. And you can't purge yourself from every phase of your life. You can't purge yourself. God created an opportunity for Moses to go stand for his first 40 years in the courts of Pharaoh. Because he was going to get called back there one day. And he's going to stand there with Aaron. And they're going to say, let my people go. And Moses wasn't going to be afraid. He's going to say, I can't talk. But I know what should be happening in the audience of Pharaoh right now. This is a place I'm familiar with. And he ran for his life. And he had a rod. But then he goes back to that same place. I left as a prince. I'm coming back as a shepherd. But it is by the hand of God that you're going to let my people go. It's at the hand of God that I'll raise this rod and God will do miraculous things in the lives of the children of Israel because I did not run from the calling that God placed in my life. Now you can sit there and you can say, well, I can go look at the church calendar and it's full of people doing everything. I, they don't need me. No, you're right. The kingdom of God needs you. Structure and organization and who's going to play the drums and who's going to read the scripture and who's going to teach and who's going to do what. That doesn't matter. God, the kingdom of God needs you to fulfill your calling. Stop running. Stop making excuse. Stop trying to say it's not me. It's somebody else. Look at them. They're doing it. They'll take care of it. They'll always be here. People will not always be here. God's trying to raise up someone that says I will listen to the call of God in my life. Can we stand today and talk to him? No matter what it may be in your life, God wants to use you. God has a plan for each of us today. It is upon us to mark the spots of significance and respond to his calling. There's no time like the present to surrender to God's will in your life. And just like Moses, this could be the very first time that God has ever spoke to you. Listen to him. Listen to him. What is it that God is wanting from you? Because I can tell you today, it's not just to come to church and say, I've been to church. God has a calling on your life. It's deep. It's rich. It is wanting to take you somewhere special. A place that you'll look back on that plane and say, I remember when I only tended sheep but look what God has done in my life let's talk to him today hallelujah I love you Jesus hallelujah I love you master I love you Jesus my God you're calling on somebody's life today we love you Jesus hallelujah let's talk to him today church Hallelujah, hallelujah. It's about your calling. It's time for you to be selfish today. 
and think about what God's wanting to do in your life. It's time for you to look beyond what you think everybody else will think and say, God, I want to respond to you today. Hallelujah. Let's take some time and talk to him this morning, church.